0: What does he mean when he says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Here is how most people understand it. You know, as I read the Bible more and study it, I will become sanctified. So I have morning worship and I study the Bible and I read it. And people will say, you know, brother, here it is, sanctify them through thy truth. And what's the truth? Thy word is truth. And this is God's word. You need to read God's word. You become an expert in God's word and you become familiar with God's word. You know what, if you even memorize God's Word, wow, you're really making some headway in your journey of sanctification. You familiar with that reasoning, with that thinking? Maybe you think that way, okay, don't tell me. Don't tell me if you do, okay? Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour, and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. This morning we want to uh, discuss... uh, a particular aspect in the in the scripture is that that is of a of a really practical nature as well you know it's important to not just understand uh, what the bible says but to apply it in a personal in a personal way to our <coughs> lives and the uh, the title uh, if I was to, to give you the title for this morning's talk is a red letter sermon and uh, some of you might have a bible today that has uh, the words of Christ in red I have one of those do you have one of those yes. they're quite popular and I was curious as to the story behind you know how did this happen Where, where did this start and it was around the turn of the century actually that the first uh, complete red letter Bible was published and it became a, an instant hit and it's been uh, popular ever since over a hundred years ago someone thought of the idea of printing the words of Christ in red and of course the Uh, purpose and the motive behind that was to make them stand out and uh, it's quite helpful right when you sometimes you're looking for a verse and you know it's something Jesus said all you have to do is look oh it's it's I know it's in red and uh, I want us to keep this point in mind because uh, there's something about this uh, red letter or red letters or the words of Christ that he that he spoke that are recorded for us and uh, obviously the it's the translators and the, mainly the publishers really who, uh, who determine which words of Christ are to be printed in red. Now, uh, for the most part, it's accurate. Sometimes there might be a bit of a difference as to whether that should be in red or, or not, but uh, for the most part, it's accurate. Now, if you gather up all the words that Christ spoke, all these red letter words, if you gather them all together in the Bible, you'll actually find that there isn't really that much. There are little compared to the rest of the Bible, particularly when you take into account that, you know, we have four Gospels that record what Jesus said, and sometimes there's a fair bit of overlap where they both record the same thing. So if you really want to take the words of Christ, you'll find that they're actually a precious few, especially when you start comparing the words of Christ to other important figures in history that we know of, uh, other even religious figures and what the particular religious figure has said, you will find that uh, Christ's words are few, very few. I want you to think about that for a minute, you know. Here is Christ, the Son of God Himself, coming to live on earth as a man, the most important event. He lived on earth for 33 years, right? And we have quite a small... Collection of the words that he spoke, right? You would think there should be more, right? Okay, there will be a whole book about it. All right, so it's, that's, that's the thought. Now, the, the importance, <clears throat> we know how important the words of Christ are. He said it to, uh, in, in the wilderness, man shall not live, what? By bread alone, but by every word. That proceeds out of the mouth of God. The words of the words are important. Now especially so. Every word that comes out of the mouth of God is important. But especially so are the words of Christ. We know that because it tells us in John chapter 12. Let's open our Bibles. And this is a red letter <coughs> verse. John chapter 12 and verse 49. And here we see just why these words are so important. John chapter 12 and verse 49. 49. And here Jesus speaking and he says, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. The words that Jesus spoke were whose words? The Father's words directly. Directly. More than anyone else. So man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But particularly the words that Jesus spoke were directly the words of the Father. That's why they are so much more important. That's why they are printed in red. And yet they are so precious. Few. So little of them. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever wondered about that? Why so little? Uh, Even other Bible figures... We know more about them and what they said and what they did. Sometimes more than even Christ himself. The uh, story of David comes to mind, right? There's a lot of information about David and what happened and where he went and what he did. And, and uh, different details. Plenty there. And you compare that with Christ, you find that there's not as much, right? Why so little of what Christ said and what Christ did and where Christ went, and what was accomplished. Now, someone might say, no, well, we we have enough. The Bible actually says that we have little. In John chapter 21. Let's turn there. John chapter 21. Here the apostle (coughs) is concluding his gospel. John chapter 21. And he tells us there isn't much that they told us. John 21, the last verse there, 25. He says... And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Amen. Interesting verse, huh? It's almost like it's teasing us. It's saying, you know what? We haven't told you anything. There is just so much more that we could have said of the things that Jesus did. And obviously that will include the things that Jesus said. There's just so much more that we could have written. It would take books and books. I think the world wouldn't be enough for all the books that would be written. It just gives you the sense that when you read John's Gospel, he's basically giving us just the major highlights of some of the things that happened with the Son of God. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think, I wish they took the time to write down some other books, right? Of some other things that Jesus did or said or went or accomplished. And like I said, you know, someone might say, well, look, brother, we do have enough information to understand the plan of salvation and what happened. And, and that's, that's enough. And I agree with that. It is true. But I think all the people who say that, they would not have minded if there was more, Right? <coughs> Okay, and that's that's just the point. There is there is a little. It's almost like it's wetting our appetites that there is so much more that what we have is is a very scant, brief record, and there is a purpose for that. I want to just think a little bit with you about some examples, some other examples of more information that could be that could be available. For example, uh, at the baptism of Christ, if. Uh, if any of you have read the book, The Desire of Ages, are you familiar with that book? Okay, if you, read that, if you read that chapter, you find that it tells us there that uh, at the baptism of Christ, Christ offered a prayer. And then he gives this interesting description. and says, never before had the angels heard such a prayer. Here it is for 4,000 years of earth's history of humanity. Here is Christ as a man. And he's praying at his baptism. He's praying to his father. And the angels who have been around all this time, you know, interacting with humans and protecting, guiding, and so on and so forth. And for the first time, they hear a prayer now that they've never heard anything like it before. Where is that prayer? I'd love to have read it. Would you? Right? How Christ... Uh, interacted with his Father and communicated with his Father in prayer. Not just that one, but the other prayers of Christ with his Father. You know, uh, the Bible tells us sometimes Jesus would pray for how long? All night he would pray. From sundown, and he would continue praying, till the sun came up the next day. Now, I want us to think about that as well for a minute. What is it like to pray all night? You know, if I to ask you the question, when was the last time you prayed all night? You might scratch your head a little bit, trying to remember. It's not something that happens often, or it's not a common thing. Uh, What's it like to pray all night? What, What would he have said to occupy a prayer that would last all night? Now, if we're honest, sometimes when we pray, you know, after about five, maybe 10 minutes, we run out of things to say. Okay, right? You know, if you're praying at night, sometimes you even might fall asleep praying. Okay? No, we're just being honest. And then you think, how can you pray all night? What would you say? You know, you list your thanks, all your things you're thankful for, your requests, maybe a few other bits and pieces. And you can fit all that in 10 minutes easily. Some of us are really good, you know, we don't even hit the five-minute mark. We're just done, right? What's it like to pray for an hour to a whole night of prayer? You know, wouldn't have been helpful if we had a record of a prayer that lasted all night. What did Jesus say to his father? What kind of interaction, communication would occupy all night? Now, it's interesting because some of us don't have trouble, you know, between meetings at camp. Talking to people and our friends and we can sit and talk and sometimes we're late for the meeting or we're just occupied or we stay up late talking and chatting and catching up and so on and so forth. Uh, that's what prayer should be like, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's an interaction with a friend. Uh, but sometimes it's not like that. So I want to I challenge you a little bit and challenge me a little bit. You know, how is our prayer life? How are things with us when it comes to that relationship, when it comes to that communion with with God, with the Father. Now, thankfully, uh, we do have a record of a lengthy prayer that Christ offered. It's recorded in John 17. We're not gonna read it, but you can read it in your own time. But John 17, you'll find that the whole chapter is read, or in red letter, in red ink. Jesus is praying there from the beginning to the end. And it's a beautiful prayer. You get some you know, beautiful insights there as to how Christ communicated with His Father. But it only takes you a few minutes to read through that prayer. So <clears throat> it would be beautiful to have a record, you know. Now the prayers of Christ were really different to, to the regular prayers that even the disciples heard or were accustomed to. Because if you remember, when, when the disciples heard Jesus pray, you know, they went to him and they said, "What, Lord, teach us how to pray. Why, did they, why do you think they said that? The prayers that they offered compared to what Jesus was praying seemed so different. They felt like they don't know how to pray. Isn't that right? Whatever they've been taught in the synagogue, this is how you pray. This is what you say. This is how you go about it. Compared to what they heard Christ pray like and how he communicated with his father, they felt like they don't know how to pray. So they came to Jesus and Lord, teach us how to pray. Our prayers are not like that. That's the impression you get, right? How we pray is is is... There's nothing like this. Please teach us. And it's something for us to really pray for today as well. You know, if, if your prayer life is, is, is at the <clears throat> five to ten minute mark and it's kind of not where you feel it should be, that's a good request to make. Lord, teach me how to pray. You know, it's, it's, and, and reading through the prayer of Christ and, and seeking that deeper relationship. I really want to challenge you with that because prayer is one of the major indicators, brothers and sisters of our relationship with, with God. How is your prayer life? How is my prayer life? And uh, it's not about just praying for a long time. It's uh, about the quality and the interaction and what that means and how that affects us. Uh, other, Other details, other things. What about when Christ was growing up, you know? I've always wondered and thought, would be nice to know about some of the, happenings and, and occurrences of when Christ was growing up as a as a child as a as a youth you know we don't have any record of such have, have you wondered about that as well yeah. okay, okay the the record about Christ's uh, younger years is about one verse you know and and the child grew <coughs> in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man and then the next thing is at 12 when he goes to the temple and then the next thing, and then he says he goes and he helps his, his, his father and his mother and so on. Next thing is his public ministry. That's a lot of years there that we have silence. Not much written, not much information. Here's another one. Let's look at this one, John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Just, you know, the record in the Bible seems to tell us that there is more that it's not telling us. <laughs> John chapter 7, just an example here of some of the things sometimes we wonder about. John 7, verse 45. John chapter 7, verse 45, here we see. uh, Then came the officers to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Remember the story, right? Pharisees send the officers to arrest Jesus. And the officers go and they they forget about their mission. <laughs> they, they hear the words of Christ, they come back empty-handed, and like, where, where is he? What what why don't you get catch him, arrest him? And they said, never man spake like this man. I'd love to read what he said. What did, what did he say that, that was so spellbinding, you know, in a sense that the soldiers just stop? You know, I think about it sometimes. Uh, this way. You know, say we're having a meeting. And, and we know there will be persecution in the last days. And, and imagine that, you know, the persecuting powers. They send some soldiers, okay, to come and round us up and arrest us. And they come at the door and they're listening to us. You know, not necessarily me speaking. Whatever. One of us is speaking, sharing. And they stand there and they listen. And they go back empty-handed, huh? This is what happened. This is what happened with Christ. They came on a mission. What did they hear? What was so impressive that here are these You know, battle-hardened soldiers. And they go back and they say, we have never, ever heard something like this. We've never heard someone speak like that. Quite incredible, right? Quite impressive. Another thing is, you know, when Jesus spent, after his resurrection, we were talking about that earlier. After Jesus was resurrected, he spent with his disciples, how long? 40 days, right? The Bible says, speaking to them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And that's all it says. 40 days. What did they talk about? Here is now a very important period because the disciples now have gotten over their disappointments. Some of their false expectations, obviously, now were not realized. So there is a bit of a correction in their mind. And they spent with Jesus 40 days, the resurrected Christ. And he's talking to them, conversing, revealing things to them, telling them things maybe in more detail, whatever it was. Where can we read about that? It's not there. You know what I'm talking about, huh? Do you feel like you'd love to have that? Yes. All right, that's good. Because that's the point that John is making in that verse that he's telling us. He says, listen, there's just so much more. We could have written books and books and books. We didn't write these books. But we've given you enough to believe that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. That's his point. And we do believe that and we have enough evidence in the record for that. But this it's just this point of of you know trying to whet our appetite, that there is just so much more. And that's the point really I'm I'm trying to make. There is one particular aspect of the character of Christ. Uh, it's, it's a very personal aspect. Uh, it's something that, that Jesus revealed and what Jesus revealed is, is obviously a reflection of what God the Father is like. But it's it's that Some of the best loved teachings and some of the best things that Jesus said, he actually revealed them in a private encounter with an audience of one. I want you to think about that as well. For example, you know the story of Nicodemus, right? He came to Jesus by night and it's recorded for us in John chapter 3. Do you know that that is the only place in all of the Gospels that Jesus ever spoke about the new birth? If you want to learn about the new birth from the lips of Christ, you will not find it anywhere else. He reveals, and that's an important truth, right? That's a precious truth, the new birth. Except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. A very important, precious truth like that. And Jesus reveals it to how many people? One person. One audience, an audience of one, a very precious truth. It gives you an insight as to the type of relationship that Jesus is interested in. You know, if it was us, we would think, that's an important truth. Jesus should have gathered all the people together. Maybe the Sermon on the Mount. That would have been a good opportunity to to tell them about the new birth. But he revealed it to one person. Another example is the, the story of the woman at the well, right? Here is a sinner. And he gives her some beautiful gems of truth that we love to quote. You know that verse that says, we worship God in spirit and in truth. You know, he told that to one person, the woman at the well, a sinner. And many other aspects as well. You know, one time as well, Jesus was with Peter walking on the beach. And he says to him, you know, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes. And then what does he say? Feed my... My sheep. Beautiful instruction for, you know, those who are in the position of shepherd or elder and so on. He gave that to one person. Peter. It's recorded for us. This personal aspect of Christ is something that God wants to reveal to us. There's a personal, not a collective not a corporate relationship God has, uh, wants to have with us, but a personal one, first and foremost. And of course, another very good example is one we looked at yesterday, is in the Last Supper, where Jesus was with his disciples. Here he is with the twelve. Then there, the Judas leaves, he's left with the eleven. And with the eleven, he reveals some of these most beautiful truths, where you find that section of the Bible, John from chapter 13 down to the end of chapter 17. It's mostly read. Letters. It's the other way around. The black only are bits and pieces here. It's mostly red where Christ is conversing, revealing some beautiful truths about the Comforter, about the Holy Spirit. And you don't find that in any other gospel. And here Christ is revealing these precious deep truths to a small audience. His disciples. Obviously, like I said, it's a reflection of, uh, of what God is like. God is actually the source of that And this is what God's character is like. Meaning, he gives outstanding, incredible revelations in a personal, one-on-one encounter with people. Time and again. For example, Enoch, right? He walked with God. What was that like? You ever wondered? All we're told is, he walked with God and then he was no more. How long did he walk with God? For about 300 years. That's how long he, 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 he lived on earth. And then he was? He was gone. A very personal interaction and relationship. What about Abraham? Abraham is called the friend of God. And one time in the story of Abraham, we have where God told him to take his son Isaac, right? And to offer him on? On the mountain as a sacrifice. And so Abraham takes Isaac. And they go to the base of the mountain. And Abraham doesn't tell many people, Right. Even the servants, he tells them to wait there. So he goes alone, him and Isaac, and they go up to the mountain. And I think you would agree that in that story is one of the most outstanding illustrations of what God would go through in giving up his own son, right? Here is God communicating with Abraham, his friend. He says, Abraham, let me give you a little bit of a lesson little bit of an insight into this plan of salvation. Take your son Isaac, come up to the mountain, offer him up as a sacrifice. So here's Abraham and Isaac alone on the mountain, and they're about to experience one of the most outstanding revelations about God the Father who would one day give up his son. Here is an audience of how many? Two people, Abraham and Isaac. You know, if it was me, I would gather all the people alive at the time to come. Come to the mountain. Watch this. This is important for you to learn, right? It's an important revelation. We think this way. As humans, we think, if you have something important to say, you need to have more people come and hear it. For example, even talking to some people here at the camp, and some people are saying, you know, it would be great if there were more people present at the camp. Because some of these things, you know, we're discussing are, are beautiful uh, gems from the Bible. And some t- people will actually judge the success of a camp based on, well how many people were there, for example you go home and tell people I was in the camp, oh really how many people went, so you tell them oh maybe about 40 people, oh okay yeah, then in their mind maybe it wasn't that important, but if you tell them oh there were 4,000 people there, well oh what, where was this camp again, why didn't you tell me, <laughs> immediately the thinking is oh it must have been important, I missed something important right, that's how we think, So here is God revealing something very important about the plan of salvation. He'd never revealed it that way before. Very graphic. Abraham is going through the emotions. He's about to offer his son as a sacrifice. And God doesn't invite people, doesn't call a big show, doesn't give a public announcement. Only both of them. What's that? It says something about God's character, right? God is not limited when he wants to reveal something important. He doesn't go by numbers. He's not limited. Oh, there's not enough people. Well, we need more people to come to reveal some important details. No, he reveals some of his most outstanding things to an audience of one or a very small audience. Now, I I think we know the story. Of course, Abraham goes through it and God, you know, the angel stops him from offering Isaac. And there is a ram caught in the thicket. And then Jesus, when he was on earth, he refers to that event. And he says, Abraham saw my day and he was glad. When did Abraham see the day of Christ? He saw it on that mountain. When he gained an insight that one day God would give up his son, but there would not be an angel to stop the sacrifice. The son would actually die. It gives us a bit of an insight, brothers and sisters, as to what kind of relationship God wants to have. Not just with Abraham, but with with you, with me. Uh, Many other examples, you know, Jacob wrestling with the angel when he was running. Even before he got to the angel, the earlier in his life, God gave him the the dream of the ladder, and the angels ascending. We 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 like that dream. That's something we refer to. Something we call God revealed that to one person, and then when he was wrestling with the angel, <coughs> and and he blessed him because Jacob uh, was insistent. He says, "What? I will not let you go except you, you bless me." You know that story I'm referring to. I'm not going to go read every story. I'm just giving references to show that. There are these personal interactions, one-on-one interactions. This is a revelation of God's character. And it's something to inspire us that this is what God wants for us. This is what God wants with us. Many other examples we can think of, but this character trait comes out repeatedly. Now, God works on a large scale as well with, with groups of people. God is not you know, interested in the one-on-one. He did many wonderful miracles, signs, and wonders with Israel as a nation. So he does that. He's very well capable of doing that. He's not, uh, you know, uh, he he doesn't shy from that. But uh, we can't neglect the personal component, the personal aspect, that God is actually interested in individuals. He's a personal God, and this is revealed in the Bible, and it's revealed in the life of Christ time and again. And I'm guessing it's for this reason, in part, why God has not given us a detailed biography of the life and sayings of His Son, because that's not what the gospel is designed to be. You know, when you, you when you travel, you, I, I like to stop and see the the while waiting for the airplane to go visit the bookstore, right, and see what's what's current, what, what are people interested in, what, what's on the market, and there's a section there with, with all the biographies, the life stories of famous people, people that uh, think if they told their life story, people would be interested to read it, and they make some money telling their story, and these biographies, sometimes they're very detailed, okay, we have a tendency to look at Christ as an important figure, and look at the gospel account as a biography of the life of Christ, that's not the case, and God never intended for it to be that way, And uh, I think the record is scant and brief because God actually wants us to long for more. It's not complete. Here is the end of the story and that's it. You know all about Christ if you read his biography. This is what you feel sometimes when you read someone's biography. This is not what God wants for us. There's actually more, a lot more because what God is interested in revealing to us is not information, It's it's not details. There is something that is living. Today, we have many experts on the life of Christ. We actually have things like gospel harmonies, right? That go through the gospels and try and, you know, list chronologically. Well, this verse or this event is before the other event. And and all the details. And this town that Jesus went to, it's actually so many miles from here. And it's so many, uh, you know, uh, elevated so much above the sea level. And uh, there was this. All these details that people try and fill, And they're very interesting. They're very good. But the problem with that... This is not what God intended. You know that? This might be all interesting, good details and information, but they can benefit us nothing when it comes to eternal life. You do realize that, right? God does not want us to be experts in knowing all about His Son. God wants us to actually know His Son. There's a big difference. You might read the biography of someone and feel that you know them. What you do know is you know about them. You haven't met the person personally. That's a big difference, right? And this is the key that God wants to convey to us. To know His Son, not just know about His Son. And God longs to reveal so much more to us on a personal level. That's the key. Let's go to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. And here Jesus reveals something. John chapter 16. And before we read the words here, I just want to make this comment. Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, the Gospels. That's not the end of the records of the words that Jesus spoke. Okay? We know that because of this verse. We're about to read verse 12. John sixteen twelve. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Who said that? Jesus should be in red ink, right? If you have it in red, this it's in red in my Bible. What does that mean? Jesus has so much more to say to his followers, to his disciples, to his believers, that is not recorded in a book. It is not recorded in the Bible. Isn't that what he's saying? So he hasn't stopped speaking. The red words that are in the Bible are not the full story. You know, I think if I was there, I would like to think... But I, maybe I would have responded. When I heard Jesus saying this, I maybe would have responded, well, Lord, make us bear them and tell us these things. What, what other things do you want to say? You know, the disciples, they, they didn't make any comment. He's telling them, look, I have so many more things to say, but you're not ready to receive them. You're not ready to hear them. You know, I say, well, okay, make us ready. How, what do we need to be ready? And we want to hear these further things. But he tells them and uh, <clears throat> that uh, this will happen when the Holy Spirit comes He will lead you, He will guide you into all truth. We talked about that yesterday as well. We saw that it's Christ continuing to speak. You see, these promises, brothers and sisters, where Jesus says, I have many things to say to you. The Spirit will lead you and guide you into all truth. He will teach you. He will show you things to come. They're no longer talking about the Bible. You realize that? They're talking about other things. More things that Jesus wants to say that have not been recorded in a book. They have not been printed in red. You with me? That Christ still lives, he still teaches, he still guides, he still speaks, and he longs and he desires to speak to you, to me individually. That's the point he's making. Many times, (coughs) our relationship with God is really a relationship with a book. You with me? We treat Christ as a historical figure who came to earth, left, and he left us a book. And our interaction and our relationship with God and with Christ as a person is really nothing more than a relationship with a book. Now don't get me wrong, the book is very important. Without this book, we wouldn't know the things we know about eternal life, about the Savior, and so on and so forth. But God's intent for us is to have a relationship that actually goes beyond the book. What I'm talking about is this, brothers and sisters. We interact with the Bible, with the book. We learn it. We memorize it. We spend a lot of time in it, thinking that this is what a relationship with God is all about. I have news for you. It's not. Someone say, "Well, hold on a minute, you're trying to put down the Bible here. No, I'm not. I'm trying to magnify the author of the Bible. Jesus didn't die and leave us a book to learn about what it was like when he was alive. Okay? He is still living. And it's for that purpose that God has revealed some things and, telling, and told us there are actually more things. Notice what Jesus says about his words. John chapter 6. God still speaks. John chapter 6. And how does he speak? John 6 and verse 63. Verse 63. John chapter 6 and verse 63. He says here, Jesus speaking again. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The words that Jesus speaks are spirit, they are life. I want you to think about that as well. The words that are recorded in your Bible, are they spirit? Are they life? What do you think? Okay, yes? Are they life? Okay. I put it to you that the words recorded in your Bible are nothing more than ink on paper. Okay, they are income paper. In other words, you could read this book all your life from beginning to end, and you could still fail in obtaining eternal life. Is that correct? Correct. Why? What Jesus was talking about is not income paper. He's telling you the words that I speak unto you. They have a characteristic. They are of a different kind. They are actually spirit. They are life. They bestow life. They are living. The Bible, brothers and sisters, is a written form of the words that Jesus uttered when he was here on earth. But they in and of themselves, you analyze them, they are ink on paper, whether it be black or whether it be red. Correct? Many times we treat the book in ways that are intended for God or intended by God that we are to treat a person. Jesus Christ is not the Bible. The Bible tells us about the person. You with me? We're going to explore that a little bit more in detail because many times, like I said, we treat the Bible and interact with the Bible as if the Bible was God. And the record that's recorded here, which we call God's Word, and it is, but it's a written form of it, that this, if you have this, that's it. You're there, you made it. And so we read this a lot. We study the Bible a lot. We even memorize the Bible. And in so doing, we believe we are in a much more advanced relationship with God, don't get me wrong, all these things are good. What I'm saying is, there is another level. There is something beyond. There is something more. Jesus referred to it when he says, I have many things to say to you. The words that I speak to you are spirit and life. What he's referring to, brothers and sisters, is the words that he speaks to you today that give you spiritual life. That's what he's talking about. That can only come by a connection and a relationship with a person. Not just... A book. I'm going to come back to that because I don't want to be misunderstood. But I want to challenge us to go (coughs) further. To go deeper. So that's the question. Does the living son speak to you today? He said, I have many words to speak unto you. Does he speak to you? Does the spirit of Christ live and speak in your soul? These are the questions I want to ask. Or is your relationship with God only through a book. You see, God still speaks. He hasn't stopped speaking. Christ still speaks. Not only does he want to speak to you, but he wants to speak in you or through you to other people. Just like the red letter words that are printed here, the red uh, print is designed to make the words of Christ stand out. The the challenge of, of my study or my my thoughts I want to share with you this morning is, is your life and your relationship with God something that makes Christ stand out to others? In other words, is your life a red-letter sermon or a red-letter Bible, right? Where the words of Christ are still living, they are still spoken, they are still being revealed to others. Now, you've heard it said, and it's, it's a good point, that my, many times... Some people, to them, you are the only Bible that they will ever read. You familiar with that? So how is that going with you? How is that going with me? Is your life, is my life a red letter sermon? Where the living Christ still speaks, not just to you, but through you to others. That's talking about a living relationship, brothers and sisters. And it's true. There are some people who will never read this book. Because God's plan of salvation encompasses not just informing us about it through a book, but transforming our being through a person. You with me? There's a big difference. And sadly, many times as Christians, all we have when it comes to our relationship with God, like I said, is an interaction with a book. The book is excellent. The book book is great. Without the book, we wouldn't know about the person. But you need to come to the the person. Now someone might say, what are you talking about, brother? Well, What does this mean? Okay, how, how does that work? With, you know, God speaks to us and, and hear a voice. I've never heard a voice, you know, and, and I'm not standing here uh, trying to uh, imply that I hear voices and, 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 or that God speaks to me. With an... Someone will say, well, how is it? I don't know how it is. Because God will have a personal interaction suitable for you and Him. So there isn't a formula or this. We love that, right? As humans, we like to define everything. Well, how does that work? Give us the one, two, three steps so I can go do it. I don't know what the one, two, three steps are for you and your relationship between you and God. But I do know that it's real and it exists and God wants to reveal it to you and to me. You with me? Let me show you an example of this. Jeremiah chapter 33. Not an example, rather it's a promise that you can claim if you want to know, well, what's what's this brother talking about? How does that work? Jeremiah 33. Thank you. Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3 is what we want to look at. And here is a promise that you can claim, I can claim, and God can fulfill because he promised it. Verse 3 says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. This is what God says, right? What it tells us is God has things in store that we have no idea about, that he wants to reveal them to us. He says, call to me. Ask me. Seek me. I will show you things you have no idea about. Great and mighty things that you have no conception of. This is what God wants for your relationship with Him. For my relationship with Him. Your relationship with Him is not going to be defined by my experience. Or the experience of your brother. Or the experience of your sister. God wants to have it personal, unique to you and to Him. You realize that? And this is why it's not spelled out. Here is all the details of it. But you need to seek it. Without seeking it, you cannot find it. And this is a beautiful promise that you can claim. So, obviously, there is more to God than what's written in the Bible. Right? Do we seek that more? Do we have that experience? Are we a living epistle written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God? That's the challenge. That's what the gospel is talking about. Sadly, many people don't know what that's about. Don't know what that's like. The written word is not the living word. There is a difference, and we're going to come to that difference in a minute. And this is what I think brothers and sisters is one of our biggest problems today is what we have is only the written word. And we become experts in the written word. We become so good in the written word that we can debate someone else about the written word. And we get caught up in all these things brothers and sisters. And there is a danger that in getting caught up in these things, we can miss the vital thing, the living word. We're not far. Let's go to Jeremiah 23. And then I'm going to look a little closer at this living and written word. Jeremiah 23, verse 29. Jeremiah 23 and verse 29. And here again, through the prophet, God reveals something. He says, is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? What's the point God is making here? He's basically saying his word is not simply limited to what can be written on paper. He says his word is like a fire. What does a fire do? It devours, it burns, right? It catches your attention. Moses was walking in the wilderness, he saw a bush burning. He turned around to see this great sight. It caught his attention, it stood up. And it also says it's like a what? A hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. That's impacting, right? It shatters, makes an effect. If there was someone, you know, jackhammering down there or, or banging on rocks with a hammer, we would all know about it if we can hear him. Right? This is what God's word is like. This is the question. Does your life make such an impact? Does your life have the living words in it that it makes such an impact? Or is your life and my life simply a collection of noises that we make because we are experts in the written word? You see the difference? Many times we make a lot of noise and much of religion today is about arguments and debates over the written word. Now, there is a right way and a wrong way to understand the written word. There's no question about that. But that is not the sum of what the religious experience is to be about. It is to be about a relationship with someone where we can come in touch with the living word. You know, I think of it this way as well. The little that we have about the life and sayings of Christ we argue over so much. Can you imagine if there was more? If the little that God revealed, we have people say, no, 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 this means this. And if you say it doesn't, it means different, we don't want anything to do with you, you get out of this church, or you don't come here anymore, or we're not talking to you anymore. And all these things and arguments and horrible spirit that is manifested in people arguing over the details that God gave. Imagine if there was more books that were written There would be even more arguments. And so perhaps it's in mercy that God says, listen, you guys are going to miss it if I overload you with information. I want to tell you about something called the living word. I'll give you enough here so you can learn about me and come to me. And then I'll have a relationship with you where you don't go into all these distractions. And you know, sadly, because people feel that they are expert in the written word, they feel that they are really good Christians. Because they know so much information and so much details and can explain the Bible and can answer someone and can refute someone and prove this brother wrong and this church wrong and this sister wrong. And there is this tendency to start thinking, man, I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty good Christian. You know what I'm talking about, right? And some people actually, the inverse is true, sadly. Some people feel they're not a good Christian because they can't quote the Bible off the top of their head They can't really preach. They can't go and win an argument with someone. And they feel that they are a lesser Christian. You know what I'm talking about? This is not the measure of Christianity. This is the measure of how much information you know. Information is not Christianity. Information is to lead us to a person. But this is how humanly we, we, we think, right? Some people say, I, I can't do a Bible study with someone because, you know, what if they ask me a question I can't answer, but wow, look at this brother there. If I was just like him, look, he knows the Bible so well. Wow, what a, what a great saint. If I was just like him. Yeah, we, we think like that many times. And that's a sad deception, brothers and sisters. God does not want your relationship with him to be a copy of this brother or this sister or this person that you, that you are looking up to. God wants it to be personal for you and for Him. That's why we're saying the Bible is the written form of God's Word. But the living form is spirit. It is life. That's the relationship that God wants to have with you. Let let me look at another example here with you. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We all know this verse, but I want us to read it. John 17, 17. If I start off the verse, you're going to be able to finish it. I know that. John seventeen, seventeen, And this is in the prayer of Christ. So it's in red letter. And it's in the prayer category. And Jesus sprang to his father and he says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Right? We know the verse. What's Jesus talking about here? Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. You know, I've heard this verse quoted so many times. And generally, this is how it's applied. I even believe that. Okay, so what does he mean? What does he mean when he says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Here is how most people understand it. You know, as I read the Bible more and study it, I will become sanctified. So I have morning worship. And I study the Bible and I read it. And people will say, you know, brother, here it is. sanctifying through thy truth. And what's the truth? Thy word is truth. And this is God's word. You need to read God's word. And you become an expert in God's word. And you become familiar with God's word. You know what? If you even memorize God's word, wow, you're really making some headway in your journey of sanctification. sanctification. You familiar with that reasoning? With that thinking? Yeah. Maybe you think that way. Okay, don't tell me. Don't tell me if you do. Okay. But it's common, it's out there. I used to think this way, I don't anymore. I used to think this way. What's Jesus referring to when he says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth? He's referring, brothers and sisters, to the living word, to the spirit that gives life, that sanctifies. Reading words and ink on paper, never sanctified or sanctifies anyone, you know that? It never can. Doctrine does not sanctify anyone. Bible interpretation does not sanctify anyone. Jesus was not talking about it. I want to show you what he's talking about and then I want to show you an example of what I'm referring to as well. You know, but don't get me wrong. All these things are good. I'm not knocking these things. Bible reading, Bible study, morning worship, Bible memorization, they're all good. But here's the thing. They are not the sum of what a relationship with God is like. You can have all these things and still fail in having a relationship with God. That's the point I'm making. You with me? What is the sanctification Jesus is talking about here? 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30 tells us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. When he says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What's he talking about? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. And he says here, the Apostle Paul, But of him, Are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption? Okay, Okay, stop and think. Who is made unto us sanctification? According to this verse. It says, but of him, of the Father, are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us all these things? Sanctification. Excuse me, Is one of them. God has made Christ our sanctification. That's how we're sanctified. By a person. By a sanctified life. By a spirit that sanctifies. All that is what Christ is. That's very different to thinking that we're sanctified by ink on paper. Now it's a person. This is what Christ was referring to when he says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Who is God's word? We know that. The word is Christ. And the Bible tells us that God's word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. What's this living word? That's Christ. It's a person. When he says, sanctify them through thy... Truth, right? Thy word is truth. I want us to think about this as well, because many times we are prone to think that truth is ideas, interpretations, positions, doctrinal beliefs. And many times when we say truth, we talk, we talk that, we say, you know, does this brother believe the truth? And we mean, does he believe the things we believe about this state of the dead, about the Sabbath, and so on, right? That's how we refer to truth. According to Jesus... He said, the truth is not really that alone. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So according to Jesus, what is truth? <laughs> himself. himself. Truth is a person. We don't talk about truth that way, right? Truth is a person. It's Him. It's Christ. So when you have the truth, it's to have Christ. So when He says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. He's referring to a living Experience a relationship that transforms you with a person. He's not referring to ink on paper. The ink on paper tells you about him so that you can come to him. If you fail in doing that, this will benefit you nothing. Let me show you an example of that, what I'm talking about. John chapter 5. John chapter (coughs) 5. John chapter 5 and verse 39. And I'm reading here from the King James Bible, King James Version. But there is a word missing in the beginning of this verse. So I'm going to supply it. If you have a different translation, it will be there. But this is a popularly misunderstood verse. John 5 and verse 39. And in the King James, it begins by saying search, right? Well, there's a missing word in the Greeks. In the original, it's there. It actually should have the word ye or you, and this is how it reads: John five thirty nine. Ye search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. You see, many times we read verse thirty nine, thinking Jesus is giving an instruction or a command. Search the scriptures. Jesus was not giving a command. He was commenting on the behavior of the Pharisees. He says, Listen. You search the scriptures, and you think you have in them eternal life. But they testify of me, but you will not come to me. What's Jesus doing here? He's contrasting the scriptures, the written word, with the living word, himself. And he's saying, you can have one and still fail in having the other. And this is what happens many times, brothers and sisters, today, when we become experts in the written word. And we know nothing of the living Word. We are actually Pharisees. You had a whole nation who were experts in the Bible of the time, and they searched it day and night. They had whole schools of debate, schools of the, the school of this rabbi and of this master and of this one here, and they would argue day and night over all the details in the Bible. And Jesus said, "Listen, you search the scriptures. And they were good at doing that. And you think you have eternal life in them. And it's true, scriptures tell us about eternal life. But he's he's basically telling them, eternal life is not found in this book, right? You think you have eternal life by searching the scriptures, but you fail in coming to me. Eternal life can be found when you go to Christ. The scriptures tell you about Christ. If you stop here, you will not find eternal life. That's why I'm saying, ink on paper does not give life to anyone. It cannot. And many times we misunderstand that and we treat the Bible in a way that Christ is the one who be treated, is to be treated that way. But we keep Christ distant, maybe a, a figure in history, and, and we, we get so caught up in the information. And that's my challenge and that's my appeal to you today, brothers and sisters. Only Christ is our sanctification. Only Christ, the living Christ, is the one that can actually give us eternal life. So if we're honest, if you're honest with yourself, if I'm honest with myself, we have a problem, right? We have a serious problem. We are prone to that Pharisaic disease. That is, in becoming experts in the Word and becoming so well-versed in it that we end up killing the living Word. You know that's what happened? The experts of the Bible killed Christ. Your expertise in God's Word Can actually become the obstacle. Between you and Christ. Do you realize that? The theory of truth. Can keep you from the person of truth. Why? Because you stop there. You can think well I know this truth. Praise God I'm good. You know everything's good and so on. And and you think the truth is simply having all these ideas. Having all these right interpretations of scripture. Brothers and sisters. If these things fail. To bring you to Christ. The living relationship. Then you've got. A deception. You're no better than the Pharisees. It's a very graphic illustration. The Pharisees literally killed Christ. The experts in the Bible they killed Christ and the same thing can happen to us in our experience. Keep him at a distance where we are unaware of him, foreign to him. And there's a group of people, we looked at that earlier, that in the last days, We'll go to Christ and tell him, Lord, Lord, tell me we've done all these things. And he tells them, listen, I never knew you. They must have had a relationship with a? With a book only. Right? And they did many things as well. But the relationship with Christ was not there. So this is what I want to challenge you with, brothers and sisters.
1: Here are some facts.
0: What's that? Is it like we on the border of the road. On the? On the author of the word, okay, that's right. The author of the word is what it's, what it's all about. So it's, yeah, we can fail in getting to the author of the word. We get caught up in the word only. The word is to lead us to the author. It's not like the author has died and left us a book says, here it is. No, he's living and the book is to point us to him. And this is the point I'm making here today. Uh, Here's is, here is the fact I want to share, a couple of facts. Enoch walked with God, right? Which Bible did Enoch have? The Living Word. Okay, he had the living word, right? He didn't have a Bible like us. He walked with God. Abraham was a friend of God. Which Bible did he read? He didn't have a book written, uh, you know, in a scroll somewhere in a cave. He had a living relationship with God. This is what it's about, brothers and sisters. Sometimes the Bible has been so misunderstood that it comes between us and God, amazingly enough. If you don't believe me, read what we just read. We had a whole nation that the Bible ended up being the obstacle between them and Christ. So much so that when they saw the living Christ, they killed him using the the written word. They said, by our law, he is guilty. They misinterpreted that. Now, I don't want to give the wrong impression that you don't need the Bible. Just close it, put it in the shelf. Say, I have the living word. That's it. I'm all set. God will not lead you by his spirit, contrary to his written word. Okay, I don't want us to miss that, because sometimes this happens, you know, you'll share things with people, particularly people of a Pentecostal persuasion or background, and they're very big into the whole spirit, you know, spirit tells me this, and spirit tells me that, and so on. And say, for example, you share with them something like the Sabbath truth from the Bible. Say, yeah, well, but you know, the spirit told me it's not for me. You heard that? It, it happens. May It might be for you, but, but not for me. I'm I'm a spirit-led Christian, and that's not for me. God is not going to lead you by his spirit, contrary to his word. That's a deception. Make no mistake about that. So I'm not trying to promote, close the Bible, and you just go off, and whatever whims come to your mind, they're all from God, and you're all set. That's a dangerous deception. But our fear from being that way sometimes limits us to just stick within the bounds of the Bible and go no further, and we never hear from God. And that's the point I want to challenge you today with. You with me? And so that's the key. God wants that relationship with you and me, brothers and sisters. And sometimes it's really sad. Sometimes, you know, I look at, I look at us and, and we're talking with some people here at the camp. and There are all kinds of ideas, all kinds of doctrines that are floating, right? And, and groups that split. And people argue. And people debate. And, and it's like we're a bunch of squabbling misfits many times. Right? True. And it's it's really sad. It's it's disheartening. And I believe that that exists to a large degree because of the absence of the living word. We try and fill the void with something. We say, but well, there's something missing, something more. Maybe. Maybe it's, it's the feasts. yeah, Maybe it's the maybe we just keep the feast and everything will be okay. Or whatever it is. Maybe it's the Lord and Maybe it's the Hebrew names. Maybe it's Wednesday crucifixion. Maybe it's God doesn't kill. Whatever it is, this, this hunger, this seeking is an indication that there's something that's missing. OK? There is a void, and we're trying to fill the void with something. So what do we look for? Some other interpretation, some other doctrine, some other teaching, some other idea. That's not the answer, brothers and sisters. And then what, and this one, this person adopts this one. This person does not. And we sit and we argue about it. And we think, oh, no, I'm closer to God. No, no, no. They, we're in the truth now. We're, we're closer to the 144,000. Poor you. Right? That, this is a mentality that exists. It's a plague among us. I put it to you that the cause for that is that there is a dearth of the living word. Because all all we're focusing on is the written word. And we argue, we debate, we run run here, we run there. And a lot of these ideas are total nonsense. They're not even biblical, okay? And so many people get caught caught up in them. Honestly, because there is this sense of there is something more we need. What more we need, brothers and sisters, is not more doctrine. Is not better interpretation. Is to come to the living word, to the Son of God. When we know the Son of God, His promise is, the Spirit will lead us and guide us into all truth. That's how we're sanctified. It's not, oh, we found out this interpretation, we found this thing, and it was missing, and whoa, oh, we were, and we, we, and sadly, it gives a sense of spiritual pride, and we are prone to it too. You know, we believe the truth about God, and there are all these people who believe in the Trinity, right? They outnumber us big time. And sometimes we can be tempted to have a certain sense of spiritual... I mean, the truth, they're not. And that's dangerous. Because the truth is not the ideas only. The ideas won't save you. God's not going to have a checklist at heaven's gate of all the right doctrines and check here. Brother Murray, did you believe in this? And sister, uh, whoever, did you believe in that? Did you believe in this? Oh, you didn't? Sorry, this side. This is not how it works. This is not how it works. But many times... This is how it works in our mind, right? And we judge others based on that. And we become very judgmental, very pharisaical Christians. Thinking we're Christians. So I want to tell you tonight or this, uh, this morning about Jesus. And that's a challenge I want to give to you. We can't fill the void with anything other than Christ. The living Christ. Christ. I want to close with a quote that I hope will be an encouragement to you. It's a very big encouragement to me and I'll leave it at that. And this is from Christ Object Lessons, page 129. Notice what it says. Our life is to be bound up with the life of Christ. We are to draw constantly from Him, partaking of Him, the living bread that came down from heaven, drawing from a fountain ever fresh, ever giving forth its abundant treasures. If we keep the Lord ever before us, allowing our hearts to go out in thanksgiving and praise to Him, we shall have a continual freshness in our religious life. Our prayers will take the form of a conversation with God as we will talk with a friend. He will speak His mysteries to us personally. Often there will come to us a sweet, joyful sense of the presence of Jesus. Often our hearts will burn within us as he draws nigh to commune with us, as he did with Enoch. When this is in truth the experience of the Christian, there is seen in his life a simplicity, a humility, meekness, and lowliness of heart that show to all with whom he associates that he has been with Jesus and learned of Him. Isn't that powerful? Doesn't that inspire you? I'm not going to ask you if this is your experience, but I can be sure that if I ask you, do you want this experience to be yours? Everyone will say yes. And so that's the challenge, brothers and sisters. That's the question. Does Christ live in you? Do you ever hear from Him? And is your life a red-letter sermon? The red-letter sermon is not what I told you today. The Red Latter Sermon is meant to be your life, where Christ continues to speak. He's the living Christ, and he draws others to him. If you are blessed by this message, please share it with others. Be sure to subscribe to get notified of future episodes. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through his son, Jesus.